The Animation Podcast, January 29th, 2006. Hey everybody, this is Clay. Welcome to the Animation Podcast. This is show number 11, the conclusion of my interview with Eamon Butler. Eamon was the animation supervisor on Chicken Little, and that's mainly what we'll talk about in this show, so let's get back to it right away. Kind of the other half of your role on Chicken Little was to bring the 2D and the CG guys together into one crew. Right. And I don't think it was so much of bringing one to one side or one to the other. It was kind of meeting in the middle. Yes. Yeah, it was a real challenge. I remember in the beginning, um, Randy sat me down and and said, look, you know, we want to bring all the guys over from CG. So we had about 15 people. I said, great. And uh, I also want to bring all these guys over from 2D because this is the crew we used on Emperor's New Groove. And they had a strong bond with that crew. And uh, I almost had a kitten because at that point we had terrible, terrible success rate with our failure rate, if you will, with traditional artists coming over to CG. It was just terrible. And that was industry wide. Um, and it scared me because we're talking about making a film at that time with less time and less money than we'd had in the past because our films had not been successful. And um, so that was that scared me, you know, and, and I was honest with the guys and said, I don't think this is a good idea. I think you know 50 50 is too risky and this is you know in in all credit to mark and randy they said we believe in these guys we believe they'll do it and we we, we've worked with them we know what they're capable of and uh they had 100 percent faith in in the crew and i thought well you know what if you guys have faith in them then we'll give it a shot yeah i mean it's pretty daring really when you think about it, it it was i mean you've no idea i mean we we had had people come over from 2d at the studio over the years and it didn't work out either because they didn't like it it didn't quite click most people when they come from 2D have a uh, a, a 2D perspective on things mm-hmm. and when it when it doesn't feel like 2D they, they're not interested and for yeah. good reason yeah I think the biggest uh, transition wasn't I mean aside from Fantasia with like Doug and Jason and you yeah. was uh, PhilharMagic right Mickey's right. PhilharMagic right. that's right and there were a few traditional guys on that right that's right we had a few guys uh dip their toe in the water and some of them liked it and some of them didn't mm-hmm. um, and most people who don't like it uh, it's because of the shock you know you have to learn a lot of stuff and you know if you've been in been in one particular meeting for a long time you get used to it and you kind of stop learning you stop learning big things you start like, refining mm-hmm. which is not a bad thing it's just that's the way it was so the the learning curve for people was so tremendous uh, and coupled with the fact that it's you don't get the feedback, it's like drawing as as a a way of creating animation is very intuitive, the most intuitive actually I think, and it's very satisfying. Three D is kind of like I always call it like the Charlton Heston effect, where remember those movies he used to be in where he was the last man on earth and he had to pick up the plutonium with the big long robot arm and he's working the controls on one side of the glass the arm's picking up the plutonium on the other and it's not working it's indirect yeah it's that you know you don't especially when you've all you've ever known is paper and pencil right yeah. it's not yeah it's not tactile at all you really have to think about every little thing and um, and that was a problem but I kind of knew that going in on, on chicken and I knew look these are the frustrations we tried to set up a bunch of tools uh, for the traditional guys you know we, we refined timing charts somewhat we also used rigging techniques that were constructive. And um, one of the one of the big I'm gonna take a little left turn here. One of the big sure. curses in CG was counter animation. There's no counter animation in 2D. None. Mm-hmm. You don't counter animate 2D. It. You just erase <laughs> it and you redraw it. But you don't have to when you move one thing 
Um, and by counter animation, I'll explain that a little bit for people that don't understand what it is. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, counter animation happens when you have uh, chains or linkages in your rig where the hips are typically the root of the character and everything hangs off of that through a series of bones or connections. So that to, in order to create a pose, you start at the root, which is the hips, which moves everything. Then you start to bend the, the spine back over to the left and then the head. And then you realize, oh crap, that's too far. But to change it, you have to go back to the hips. So you move the hips and then you've got to pull the head back to where it was. So you have all of this indirect counter animation going on where in order to move the head into place, you have to start somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And that's a really bad idea. So I wanted to be able to sculpt a pose from any point. If you, if you sit any bunch of traditional animators down in a life drawing class and, and put a model in front of them, they'll all start somewhere different. Some will start with the head, the line of action. Some will start with a foot and build it up from there. Whatever, it's all different. But they're feeling their way through that drawing. And I wanted that kind of freedom without having to worry about force feeding your process through start with the hips and work your way out kind of a thing. Yeah. So... Which was how you had had to work on, like, Dinosaur, right? Exactly. Everything was a hierarchy and it was very painful to work with um, and very painful to make changes. So, you know, I, I sort of sat down one night and thought to myself, well, what does it mean to animate? What does it mean to, to produce a piece of animation for a feature film? And I saw two distinct phases. The first being your first pass, creating that initial blocking of your animation, whether it's uh, layered or, or pose to pose there's that first pass where you're faced with an empty an empty scene or a blank page there's a creative process that happens, has to happen there um, but that's the first phase the second phase is making your boss happy and changing your work to get an approval and I have yet to meet an animator who gets their first pass approved every time it just doesn't yeah. happen everybody has to change their work to make somebody happy um, and and it, may even, it may even be, in your mind, making the scene worse or different, but you have to do that. And um, so the editing phase became very important to me. Um, what I realized was, okay, we have this amount of time to work on the scene. So the first phase has to be constructive. We have to remove all of that counter animation. We did that by creating broken rigging or, or uh, breaking up those linkages that I talked about a little bit earlier on. And allowing animators to pose the characters freely. That means you can move the hips without moving the chest and the head. Or you could start anywhere. You could move a foot and then go up to the head and then move the hips. And it wouldn't affect anything else. So we came up with a technique that would allow us to do that. And then on the second phase, uh, I also wanted it to be constructive. So that, you know, if the director said, I love what you're doing, but can you just tweak the hips? Well, using the traditional, not I say traditional in CG, <laughs> but using the linkages sort of approach, the hierarchy approach, that would destroy your work and you'd have to rebuild it again. So we were able to come up with something that allowed you to tweak things, different parts of the body, without wrecking what you'd done already. Mm-hmm. And as, as the end result being that it was, uh, it was constructive, you could move forward and spend more of your time making your scene better rather than one step forward, two steps back. Right. And, so you know, I, I can't sit here and act like I don't know what you're talking about, but it's good. Yeah. <laughs> you and know, and, and it, it really lends itself to pose to pose because you can it does. just grab the character and yank him into the next pose real quick and yank him into the next pose. And you touched on something important. It was then that you decided we were going to work pose to pose in this film and not layered because this technique doesn't work well with layering because everything's broken. You, mm-hmm. I mean, you can work with it, but it's... It, it's trickier to do everything's that. linear in the in-betweens and everything's linear in the in-betweens and you have to kind of uh it's quicker to pose this way but it's a little bit more work to finish and finesse mm-hmm. you have like maintaining yeah. the relationships between those broken parts of the body is a little bit more work 
But on the front end, it buys the director more creative kicks at the can, right. and that's and, and, and it thereby makes, and it makes it easier to change. I think, and it makes it easier to change. So there's never one solution that works for everything. Mm-hmm. But that was a definite decision that I made up front, and I worked with some very smart people, with Kevin Geiger and Mike Keen, Romero Gomez, Chris Cowan, to come up with that kind of approach. And I, I, at the end of the day, and I wanted animators to be able to work quickly, not because quotas were higher, but you know, if, if I was to say to you, I, I want you to do this scene and you've got five days to do it and it's a really, really hard thing to do, whatever the action is, it's really going to be painful to do this. You're going to freeze up a little bit. You're not going to make creative choices or you're not, you're not going to take chances with what you do. You're going to make choices because you know it's going to take you four days just to animate it. And you know you don't want to have to backtrack at any point. And instantly your animation is going to get soft and suffer. Right. I wanted people to to be able to, you know, it's it's the CGI equivalent of doing a thumbnail and then scrunching up that piece of paper and throwing it away. And that was really important. And I think we, we kind of made some strides towards that. Um, and at the end of the day, we're trying to aim for something that felt intuitive. You know, just the way, I mean, drawing is the most intuitive thing. Everybody can do it. But when you draw, you don't think about the pencil. You're looking at what's happening mm-hmm. on the paper. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I saw 2D guys struggle with, because I struggled with it, was the was the menu hunting thing that you do when you learn. You're like, well, in order to pick this, I have to go up here. And, yeah. and instantly you're pulled out of the scene and it destroys you yeah, creatively. I mean, you know, you look at the monitors and it's yeah. like an airplane cockpit. Yeah. yeah, it has to be stripped down and made like a car. And, mm-hmm. and that was a huge thing. So it, believe it or not, we spent as much time up front on designing interfaces as we did figuring out how to actually do things. One thing I didn't want to do was reduce the amount of control for the animator. They had to be able to create shapes and you know, uh, stretch the characters, snappy timing. Um, and that all requires lots and lots of sophisticated control. But every time we'd out of control, I have to figure out a way to represent it that was easy to use. So we, you know, in conjunction with developing the technology, we developed really good, strong, solid interfaces mm-hmm. as well. And that was tremendously important. There were there, other challenges, um, like you say, besides um, managing the, the department was training everybody. And after Randy said, we're going to do this, I set out and constructed a program um, that lasted 18 months. I trained everybody for 18 months. Yeah. It's the longest I've ever done it. I mean, you could make a movie in 18 months. <laughs> and... Um, I set out to, you know, first the thing, I look back at my experience learning CG and I, I wrote down all the things that scared me. It was a big long list of stuff. And then I sat down one day and thought, well, you know, I'm fairly, you know, decent on the computer now. I've been doing it for a while. And I started making a list of all the things that you do on the computer to animate. And it ended up being like four pages long. Mm-hmm. It's true. Simple <laughs> things like, you know, opening up a window, navigating through a shell, navigating to get to this, launching this, opening and that. And honestly, there was a few animators that had no idea how to do those things. Yes. It's true. Quite a few, actually. Um, and I thought, my God, this is a lot of stuff to learn. And so we split the program up into two sessions. We had a, a basic Maya uh, that was run through artist development. Walt Sturrock and uh, Mary Walsh at the time ran a phenomenal program um, that lasted, I think it was like uh, 10 weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then once I got through that basic introduction to the computer and Maya, I took on, uh, again, what I call boot camp. But this boot camp was really uh, designed to get the animators confident and productive so that they could see results, that they, you know, they were able to animate and get past the technology. 
it wasn't designed uh, I mean these guys could already animate that was one of the first things I said to them in the class was like you're not I'm not here to judge your animation you're already here because you can animate and do it really well we're just going to make sure you can do it on the computer and I think everybody breathed a sigh of relief because everyone you know at the top of the class looking at all these scared bunnies <laughs> big white eyes you know Nobody wanted to look bad. And I thought, you know, I felt that when I came over. I'd been fairly experienced as an animator. And when I was learning the computer, I felt very, very vulnerable and very exposed. And, you know, we, we judge each other all the time, whether we like it or not. And, uh, and that's how it's, that's our mirror. You know, we, we look at other animators, we see ourselves through their work. And we're always comparing ourselves. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it's a very competitive industry because of our own insecurities. But it's a, it's a fact. And, um, I wanted to get help people get over that and not worry about that. So we did a lot of simple tests, and I, I, I one of the things I really encourage people to do is have, you know, talk about your work and talk about other people's work and have a voice. Yeah, it was but, it was very collaborative, you know, among the artists, you know, just even like how to close this window or that. But yeah, in animation terms as well, it was. And, and again, the end result here was um, I wanted animators to be self sufficient, and, and that doesn't mean that you can go off on your own. Being self sufficient in CG for me means having the balls to knock on someone's door and ask for help Mm -hmm. that's what it really means because it's a collaboration and i can't teach everybody everything in eight weeks you just can't i mean it was the same in 2d if you couldn't get a drawing you went to your supervisor and you you know slap the paper down and they did a drawing for you absolutely and And if you didn't do that you would struggle if they're afraid they're not going to ask for help Mm -hmm. they're not and um i know because i didn't a lot of the times and it took a while to feel comfortable to do that because nobody wants to look like an asshole yeah um or a bad animator and and i didn't want that i wanted people to feel comfortable and make mistakes and be okay with it so a lot of the the classes were structured to learn the tools and all that but really to develop a a comfort level with the computer and a comfort level with your other your other um peers uh and not be afraid to ask for help and i think we got there yeah and that's a real testament to the crew they're fantastically mature and responsible people I have to say one CG film, you know, at least half the crew under their belt, you know, that's yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think when you see the movie, it's, 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 it's a phenomenal result. And you know, the training, it was an interesting time for me from the outside looking in and seeing everybody learn because it was a very dark time at the studio. We laid a lot of people off and, uh, and there were traditional people who were basically fighting for their lives, trying to relearn their craft through this new medium. Mm -hmm. But also you had these, CG guys who saw traditional people coming in and being given roles that they had gone to college for and they had struggled to get. And there was fear on both camps. Both sides were afraid that the other side was here to take the jobs. And it was a difficult time. But you'd, I, I defy anybody to spot CG guys from traditional guys now. Everybody's just one big crew. Yeah, and everyone learned from everyone else. And everybody Whether learned from everybody else. And that, technical things or just faster ways to work and pose out a shot or change your curves or from a traditional side, like, you know, how much you can you know move a character across the screen without yeah. making it look horrible. And Exactly. And I think both sides learn from each other in a very organic, natural way. Yeah. And we're really supportive. Yeah, I think it was a great experience. I think so. And, and uh, it's the thing I'm the most proud of. I mean, the movie's great. The animation's fantastic in this film. And... But I'm really proud of the animators for, you know, getting through that, all that pain mm-hmm. and being able to just get on with what they yeah. had to do. And, you and know, you got to say it again. It was from both sides. It wasn't. It was. One or absolutely. The other. It, was, it was both just coming together. And now it's it's just one big crew. You know, it's, yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's it's uh, it is. It's strange. And it happened itself. You yeah. know, again, uh, 
it's a testament to the to the maturity of the crew mm-hmm. you know the people get on with it and and do their best work but you know as a supervising animator uh, our animation supervisor i'm always getting that wrong uh really all you should do is just you know create the right environment and support people in what they have to do mm-hmm. and that's that was a uh, i had great help with that with uh uh, Monica, who was the uh, uh, APM of the department, she did a phenomenal job. <laughs> Married to an animator too. Yes, yeah, she's also known as the intro voice. Yeah, <laughs> I can't, I can't not mention Monica. She was amazing. Did a fantastic job and and supported me as well. And um, and it was tough. You know, we had we had less time and less money on this movie too. Mm-hmm. And we we tried to do more. And it was it was a challenge. But uh, uh, we did some really cool stuff. Um, you know, I'm really. You know, when you look at this movie, the, the animation feels so loose and full of life, and the timing is fantastic, mm-hmm. and uh, all the stuff I had hopes for. And you know, and this goes way back to before Wildlife, when I was pushing a lot of the tools here, along with some of the traditional animators who had made the transition already, like Doug and Jason. All of that came true on this movie, so I, I really feel vindicated, and um, it's all up on the screen and it speaks for itself. So, right. Yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of it. Um, something else I wanted to ask about it, it was kind of justified in, well, definitely justified in the 2D world was having a supervising animator because it helped keep a character on model yeah do you feel like there's still justification for that doing CG or I do do you believe uh, in like a, a we had lo- supervisor or yeah we had long discussions about that going in um, we, we tried to look at it with um, from every perspective we were really open minded and saying look you know what what are the benefits what are the drawbacks and by we I mean myself Mark Randy Mm-hmm. It was important to us to keep animation supervisors, or I'm sorry, supervising animators, yes. character supervisors, if you will, in on our movie, just because it's what we did. It's what this studio does and has done for a long time, and it's been successful. You know, when you look at the lineup of characters, they're all diverse, you know, from Chicken Little to his dad to Abby and so forth. They're, they're very unique characters. And I was a little concerned with, with uh, not having character supervisors just because... We had two different crews at the time that were still starting to come together. Mm-hmm. I didn't know the talent of the 2D guys. I didn't know how to cast them because I, I, didn't, I hadn't worked with those guys before, but I knew the 3D guys. And Mark knew the 2D guys, but not the 3D guys. So mm-hmm. between us, it was very hard for us to cast stuff out. And I thought the smartest thing here is, is to have character supervisors. Um, then they're in charge of that and we don't have to worry about it. So and we had a few people that were really talented. And I thought, you know what, we'll do that, but we'll keep one overall crew. Right. And I think reason, that's the big difference. That was uh, a big difference. And what's been done before. Yeah, we'd, we'd looked at what Pixar does, and they're, they're obviously very successful. Uh, early on, we decided, you know, we'll keep one flexible crew, much to the chagrin of the animators. Uh, and, you know, they yelled and screamed about yeah, that it, one. But It's stressful, but, but you get used to it. The deciding factor was really the schedule. Um, we, we looked, you know, uh, Monica and I had looked at, uh, experiences in the past and it's very hard to maintain quota and, and a production schedule when everybody's separated out into teams. It's just a really hard thing to manage. And if we start slipping, we were going to get a lot of, uh, quote unquote help from the executive management here and figuring that problem mm-hmm. out. And we didn't want to do that. We wanted to keep it running smoothly. And I also feel like, you know what? I hate being typecast. I hate it when an animator does something well and then gets cast on characters like that forever and ever yeah. and ever. And I thought, well, here's a chance, here's an opportunity for us to wipe the, the slate clean and let people try out 
different things. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in if somebody steps up to the plate and says, I'd love to do that sequence or that scene. For me, that's great because it means they're going to, they really want ownership on it and they're going to step up to the plate and they're going to do a great job. Right. And, uh, and we were able to do that by having one crew. Um, I was able to throw a bone to a lot of people who uh, maybe had never supervised before. We were able to give them a chance to have some ownership of a character, even, even though it may not have been in a lot of sequences or have a lot of footage, but they were able to work with modelers and get some experience yeah. of being a supervisor, even in a small way. We were able, we were able to do that quite a few times mm-hmm. in the movie. And those guys since went on to be supervisors. And, and it worked, that worked great. And it was, it was a good training ground for those people as well. And right. I'm very pleased about that. And at the end of the day, just having seen the movie over the weekend, the continuity is really good in this movie. I think so. And especially character-wise. Character-wise, it's very good, considering that multiple people worked on it. Yeah. Also, we went in saying, look, if, if this doesn't work, we can go to cruise. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's... And it kind of ended up that way. Yeah. That's we kind of drifted towards that, and I think that worked okay. Yeah. I mean, you would not officially be on a crew, but you would do a character. The supervisor would like the work, and they right. would say, is that guy free again? Yeah. You know? And it would, by the end of the show, we, we kind of had crews, but we were always flexible to move from character to character. It was, it was yeah. really kind of uh, nice. Yeah. And I, I wanted to, you know, until we cast the character supervisors, I was in charge of like all the setup and every single character. And you just can't, you know, it's very hard to do that. So uh, having character supervisors come in allowed them some ownership mm-hmm. over, over what they did. And um, it took some of the pressure off me as well. So I can't complain about that. But I would recommend it. I think it's a great way to go forward. I, I would love to see us go back to character crews. Mm-hmm. Um, but that has a knock-on effect. You have to make sure that your schedule allows for that. And your story's prepared. And your story's prepared, and, uh, and everybody's on board with it. Um, it's, it takes a, it's a greater management feat to pull that off. Yeah. Um, but I think the payoff for that, though, is, is really strong characters. Yeah, you end up getting... Distinct. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I, I would recommend it. I'd love to see us come back to that. Mm-hmm. In the few years that I've been animating uh, mm. the technology, I mean, I've just done it for like three years, I think, mm. and it's changed so much. I mean, oh, yeah. the tools we have today versus when I started are, are yeah. so different. And I was just wondering what are some of the things that um, are going to be changing in the future? I mean, we haven't hit the limit of what we can do, no. obviously. You know, it's interesting. Um, a lot of this, I mean, back when we did Dinosaur, for example, we worked with what we call Tootsie Roll models, mm-hmm. which were uh, chopped up um, uh, hard surfaces that just bent and crashed through each other. But that was the best we could do because we didn't have computers that were fast enough to see skin mm-hmm. flexing and so forth. It was forth. like a lightweight stand-in, right? It was like a lightweight stand-in, but that was what we had to animate to. Mm-hmm. And so you never got a true sense of the silhouette until much later in the pipeline. Um, on Wildlife, we were able to go into soft binding the characters and mixing it up with... That means you're kind of seeing the skin mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, but on, on, on Chicken, we went we changed from a nerves-based pipeline to um, subdivision. And that... Um, from a technology standpoint, allowed us to see the skin in near real time at the animator's desk. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that was really important because we chose to do uh, a style that, that was very graphic, uh, where we're stretching the characters, creating curved shapes, um, you know, all of this cool stuff, but you need to see the skin to do that. So it was a painful switch to go there. But I think what we're going to see in the future is more feedback uh, on the final look of the character in the like animated real hands, time yeah. in real time and I think um, uh, we're already seeing uh, strides being made with, with uh, procedural stuff so in the past procedurals were done by somebody else and procedural meaning procedural meaning an algorithm that's run to create 
simulations like cloth or hair, mm -hmm. something like that. That was something that was always done by somebody else because it was labor intensive and slow. And it was added on top of your animation. And it would often be done weeks after you finished your scene. Um, and not, you know, yet to meet an animator who's happy about that. So, <laughs> uh, you know, the ultimate goal, I think, is to get the most information about the final look of the character into the animator's hands so they can make better creative decisions. And I think we're getting there. I think we're starting to see hair show up now in real yeah. time, near real time. Cloth, I know Glenn is pushing for that big time in his movie to see hand animatable, sculptural sort of cloth. Um, we're basically going to see a lot more clever deformers, more intelligent deformers. To get more gesture. and To get more gesture. You know, when a hand touches another piece of flesh, you want to see uh, both, both uh, objects yield to each other mm -hmm. and interact with each other. And that requires deformations of a sort, usually dictated by right. uh, clusters or something like that. But um, uh, we're going to see more of that in the animator's hands and not further down the pipeline. And I think that's you'll see a lot of you'll see a lot of the the end result come up earlier in the pipeline. People won't necessarily see that in the end result mm -hmm. as clearly, but it's going to help the animators do much more interesting um, stuff with their animation and allow us to get a lot more subtle uh, and believable. You're probably going to see a, a lot movies that are a lot bigger, have a lot more characters in them, mm -hmm. crowds and all that. Yeah. yeah, things are just going to get bigger as we can do more and more stuff. You know, it's, it's interesting. I bought a laptop and I can do more stuff on my laptop than we can here at the studio with fancy Linux boxes because those boxes are a couple of years old now. Mm -hmm. But it's, it really does change so fast and so quickly. Um, and it's kind of scary to think where it might be in a few years. I mean, right. who knows? And it's but, not just, you know, software. It's a big, huge part of it's technology, just how fast it can pump the polygons and all absolutely. that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Stuff becomes obsolete so quickly. I, I often laugh when you, when you read these articles by, with producers saying, oh, it's getting cheaper every year. Like, <laughs> sure it is. <laughs> yeah, I feel like, hold on. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but you keep wanting more and more stuff. And, you know, it's... You yeah, know. and it's, it's funny, too, because the faster the stuff gets, the more they add on. The more they the add on. the slower it gets. Yeah. So I, I think there's a price point, price point that's, uh, that's going to stick and it's not going to change. And mm -hmm. we're just going to keep adding stuff. And, and, you know, if you made a movie today that looked like Toy Story... You know, people would be disappointed by it. Right. You know, as good as it looked when it came out, it looks old now. It's mm -hmm. dated. And, uh, you know, people always expect more and more stuff. But, yeah, I, I think certainly from an animator's point of view, I think it'd be gr it's great to see lighting in animation. It's great to see what the final skin's going to look like. Texture is very informative. We're still a little bit away from that. Um, but I think in the next year, you're going to see great strides towards that. And that, that's going to help animators do a better job. Yeah. And that's really all I care about. It's funny. I think in the end, though, it's not going to make animating faster no i mean cg i think maybe a little slower than 2d yes just because it's so much more work intensive you know yeah. work figuring out arcs and absolutely and just all the time that's details. another that's another fallacy is cg so much cheaper and faster it's like yeah if you're animating you know bouncing balls it, mm -hmm. it can be quick but when you want to do character animation that performance takes a while to figure out and uh, it's definitely slower on the front end like creating that first pass right. is slower in fact, I mean, um, and you know this, on, uh, on Chicken Little, Jason Ryan had probably the most efficient workflow. Mm -hmm. in, he would go ahead and he would draw his scene first. You know, he would block it in 2D on the computer, show the director, and then redo it in 3D. And he was still faster. Yeah. Because that drawing process is intuitive. So it's, what's really exciting about Disney is, is this sort of rediscovery of drawing that's coming back in and I know Glenn is really 
a big advocate of of having the pencil drive 3d more and more but there really is something to be said about that process you know something that's so intuitive and and allows you to get to the heart of a performance quicker is definitely a good thing and something i found when i would uh, rough out a shot is just that you know you you draw a gesture or just a shape of a head or with a squash and and you just draw it a certain way that looks organic and squishy and when you're trying to match the cg to it you're pushing it further than you probably would have had you not planned it out on paper or on the screen in a drawing before right yeah, it's getting you loose. Mm-hmm. It helps you loosen up before before you animate. Yeah, it's giving you a better target. You know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. A lot of young animators are listening to the show and stuff, and and you look at a lot of portfolios, I yeah. think. And uh, what are some of the things that you you wish you would see more of or less of in portfolios? Like, what do you look for in uh, a young animator's work? I like to see um, somebody take some chances at what they do. Uh, personally, I don't. I like to see polished work. I like to see stuff that's had time spent on it, mm-hmm. uh, where it's been crafted, where they've tried to apply all the basics of of animation uh, or traditional animation uh, and, and showcase a performance. I like to see a mixture of things. I like to see some physical stuff, um, you know, motion mechanics, that kind of a thing. Yeah, me too. But I like to see it being driven by an idea. People will do a walk cycle or something, and it's just mechanics. I like to see a character w- walking to something or away from something. Or I like to see there's some thought behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't like long reels where they show you everything they've done ever yeah. in the whole world. Yeah. Just four or five scenes is all I need to see. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, keeping it short and putting your best work at the front. Um, I don't, I'm not big on um, visual effects stuff. Not because of the visual effects, but usually animation is not at the forefront in visual effects. There's so much other stuff in the way. Um, so if you've done something in visual effects, you know, show your Maya file. Mm-hmm. Not all the other stuff, not all the compositing in the final image. I'd like to see it very clear and staged very well. One of the very best reels I ever saw was from Daryl Johnson, who's an animator here at Disney. And uh, he sent in a reel, and it was these two, uh, they looked like raisins on legs. Yeah, and really uh, it was rudimentary. Rudimentary with two little eyes, and they didn't have a... Uh, facial features but it, he told a story and I like to see that I mean animators here at Disney tell stories yeah, and he's, I, I, I've seen his stuff online he, he took his time he yeah. didn't rush through it he, I mean he played some emotions and he really played them out and it, it came across so well yeah and he communicated an idea very clearly and that's so important mm-hmm. um, it, it doesn't have to be very fancy and it, it's tough I mean some people complain that they can't get rigs to animate when they're out there i think nowadays it's getting easier to do that but build something yourself yeah um you know uh, and it doesn't have to be fancy in fact the simpler it is the clearer i'm going to see your animation i agree um and fancy facial doesn't really bother me because you can be taught that um i think you have to have a sense of humor somewhat of a sense of taste and coming from me that's kind of unusual to say but (laughs) you know uh you have to be careful when you when you submit a reel because you know if it's all fart gags and stuff like that you might insult somebody in the room and lose your opportunity so have a certain uh certain amount of restraint on what you're going to put in there but but uh i like to see an idea i like to see change in a character you know a character walking in something happening they react and and change Mm -hmm. that's a key you know every scene is in a movie is about change it's about progressing the story forward and um it often involves a change or a push or something and animators um have to be able to do that uh, I don't like over animation but that's, subje- that's a subjective thing I, you know I don't mind looking at 2D or 3D it's, it's an interesting thing people some people won't look at 2D hmm. 
for 3D pieces because they don't think it's applicable. I think it's, you know, if you've done animation, even if it's claymation or whatever, whatever, it's all applicable. Yeah. If it shows that you can tell a story, it's absolutely yeah, worth I mean, you it. might want to put the 3D stuff up front. Right. But, I mean, if you have good 2D, it's still good animation. Yes, absolutely. Um, but if it tells a story, I think that's key, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and being very, very clear about what you did. In this day and age, people work on movies, um, and you may work on a scene, but one part of a character and one part of a scene, mm-hmm. and other people have done other stuff, make sure that's all very clear. Yeah. Um, and don't ever, ever put somebody else's work on your reel. It sounds obvious, but I've seen that almost every other month here. It'll be a piece of work that shows up, and it's not their work, and it's t- a terrible thing to do. It's just, it's just that's it. I will not look at that person again. Yeah. Um, I'd say be very, very careful with motion capture work. I found it very you hard. see a lot of that? We see a lot of it, um, especially coming from the games world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, movies like Polar Express, and, and even, even the great work that was done on, on Gollum. You ha- you're never quite sure what, what that animator did or didn't do on that scene. Um, and if you have done motion capture work, show, try to show what exactly you did. So if you, if you, diver, you know, divert it from the motion capture, show the motion capture and then show yeah. what you did. Yeah. Don't just show the final scene because people will uh, dismiss it because it's unclear um, as to what exactly they did. Cool. Okay, so after all of this, mm. you have decided to leave Disney. Yeah, I did. I didn't think you were going <laughs> to ask me that. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. I did. Yeah, I, you know, I came to the end of the movie. and um, Well, how, first, how many years have you been here? Ten years. That's a long yeah, time. It's a long time. And it, it hasn't all been good, I'll be honest. It's been challenging. I've had, um, you know, Fantasia was a great experience. Chicken was a great experience. All the stuff in between wasn't as much fun mm-hmm. as I'd hoped. Uh, and I'm not complaining. That's the reality of working these days. It's, you know, it, it can't, it's, it, you could go any studio and you're going to hear the same thing. But I, the reason I bring it up is I wanted to, always wanted to leave on a good note. Mm-hmm. Never wanted to leave with a bad experience because that would color everything yeah. the, the wrong way. And Chicken was just a great experience for me. It was, it was four and a half years of my life. And, um, you know, uh, it went really quickly and well, and I'm really proud of it. And I've, I felt like, well, here's a good time to open that door. And a lot of people think, wow, if you're enjoying it, why don't you stay? And I'm like, well, you know, I, I want to try other things. And um, uh, Disney made me offers and it was this, the same role on other movies and uh, the great movies, mm-hmm. great leadership, great stories. But I, I want to try directing. I want to try writing and I want to try different things. And I thought, you know, and I turned 40 as well this year. Yeah, I know. That's a rough one. Uh, but I thought, you know, there's a lot of signs here that I'm getting that I need to take one more chance at my career. And uh, I thought, you know, I want to find out quickly as well. I want to find out quickly if I've got it in me to do it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I'm going to step away for a while. They've been great at the studio. They're going to keep the yeah. door open for me and been very nice and supportive. But... I need to I need to figure out if I've got it on my terms and then see where that takes me and if if it takes me back here great and if it leads somewhere else that's great too but uh, this will be my last big risk mm-hmm. I think um, I have a family now and you know as you get older you know the, the mortgage starts to bear down and uh, you get different responsibilities so I figure this is it this is this is a chance to try something and see just just wipe the slate clean and see what I can do yeah okay. yeah sounds great to me now, I'm enjoying it so far. It's been six weeks. Uh, I've stopped pacing the halls. <laughs> uh, but 
but I, I miss everybody. It was a hell of a hell of a, t- a crew at this company. Um, I have the, the utmost respect for Mark and Randy. They did a great job, and they allowed people to to, to rise up and and uh, and do phenomenal work. And yeah. they're very supportive. And yeah, that's remember. a rare thing. You said it was what, four years, four and a half years on this. Four show? for me. I think it was five and a half for Mark. Yeah, I mean, just but in the course of the show, it, the studio has totally changed, and animators have totally risen and yeah. developed. And yeah. it's it's quite a change. It is. It's a dramatic change. And, and in other ways, it's not. I mean, we're back to making movies, and animation is really important mm-hmm. here. It's not... I never feel like the technology is the most important thing here. Even though it's tremendously important, it's still about performance. And I think that's a really, really unique thing about Disney right now, is we've sort of restoked the fire through this new medium. I, I actually think it's, gonna, it's a really good thing. Yeah. Um, I think one of, the, one of the problems this studio has had from my perspective, is we, I, I think for many years it, it was about the medium. I think there became an institution in support of the traditional medium. And uh, uh, I think it's good to shake things up once in a while. I mean, I, I'd hate to see 2D go away, and I don't think it will. Mm-hmm. I think we'll end up going back there at some point. But it, we still work traditionally. You know, it's funny, yeah. people say you're in CG now, but we work as traditionally as we ever did. It's pose to pose, we use the proper time, we talk in the same language. Mm-hmm. It's just that we're using a keyboard and a mouse. Yeah. And uh, it never bothered me as much as it did some people. But hopefully they'll see that in movies like Chicken Little. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I think that's going to be the end of it. Cool. So I, I Well, if anyone has it. any questions, they should call you and not me. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, again, I appreciate it. And, uh, oh, you're good welcome. Good luck. And I'm sure fun. everything's going to be awesome. So. Yeah, I'll be in touch. I'm, I'm very excited for everybody. And sad. Sad to leave the studio. For sure, it's it's been a, a hell of a ride, and and like I said, I'm I'm very proud of what everybody did on this film. Like I said, the animation looks phenomenal, but the, what people did on this film was was huge. You know, mm-hmm. to go to go through that scary, scary process, and uh, and end up with a movie that's fresh and vibrant and uh, full of life. It's just it's an amazing testament to to the artistry and yeah. to the artists involved. I agree. And, and thanks for uh, sharing it with everybody. I think people are going to be really interested to uh, understand just the, what we've gone through. Yeah, good. I hope so. Yeah. And hopefully they're excited about what we did. Yeah, I hope so. There you go. All right. Thanks. Thanks. And that concludes my interview with Eamon Butler. If you'd like to give feedback on this or any of the other shows, you can always go to the website at www.animationpodcast.com. And there you can leave comments on any of the posts. And you can find my email, which is animationpodcast at gmail.com. And the third thing you can find there is the phone number for the feedback hotline, which is area code 206-666-2668. And that's a phone number you can call anytime and leave a message. And I do happen to have two phone messages to play for you this show. And here's the first message. I think it definitely qualifies as one of the more unique messages I've received. Hey, Clay, uh, this is Mealy Mac. I just wanted to say, you know, like everybody else, you're doing a bang-up job. Really top-notch, super classy, top-shelf stuff, and uh, everything's coming through really sweet on the airwaves. Um, uh, I just wanted to, you know, give you some words of support and love and say... uh, that uh, everything's been super informative and I really like uh, Mr. Butler's first half of his interview 
and um, you know it's tough when you're out there and you're and you're casting to the world, and it's it's a little nerve-wracking. Come on, brother. And uh, so you know, keep it up, keep up the good work, and uh, you know maybe maybe interview some people down in the trenches. You know, some of the people you work with. Every every studio seems to have kind of a loose wing nut and. It'd be fun to sort of not hear just you know from the big wigs, but you know some of the some of the animators that you work alongside with, and maybe even some of your own thoughts. So take it down and, and throttle that baby like you know you can. All right, peace out. Well, thank you very much, Mealy Mac. I do appreciate the love and support, and you can definitely call anytime. And as far as guests on the show, I am not uh, exclusively a big-name interviewer. I think anyone that's interesting qualifies, and people send me names all the time. So I'll see what we can get to this year. And like you suggested, I will definitely do my best to uh, throttle the podcast. And here's the second phone call. Hello, Clay. My name is Dustin. I uh, just calling to say thank you. Thank you so much for putting together this podcast. It's great. It's great brain food. It's great inspiration for those of us who uh, are so... Uh, into animation, the nerds that we are. Uh, I really appreciate all of the backstory and all of um, the, uh, the the candid observations into the politics that go behind uh, the making of uh, you know, the, D- the Disney feature animations and you know feature animation in general. It's really interesting, especially uh, when concerning how the creative process often gets admired by the people who are in control who aren't really creative at all. Um, I, especially the Ron and John interviews were um, were just golden. Uh, also, hearing about John Lester and Brad Bird and Tim Burton and all those guys was just great because those people are my heroes now, and they've they've gone to do such great things. And to hear that they all started at Disney and um, uh, the genesis of their creative talents uh, has been it's been very informative. So please keep it up, uh, keep doing what you're doing. And as a side note, I know you probably don't need to hear this, but I honestly feel that the uh, Buck Cluck and Chicken Little interaction in the animation was what truly saved Chicken Little. But again, that's just my opinion. Have a wonderful night, and uh, I will listen to your podcast as soon as you put up another one. Thank you. Well, thank you, Dustin. And I do want to say to everyone that listens, uh, I just know that time is precious, and I appreciate uh, all of you finding time to listen and give feedback on the shows. And I do agree about those Buck and Chicken Little interaction shots. Uh, something that struck me the most about them was just uh, how a handful of shots can really influence a movie and give the audience something to hang on to emotionally. I think there were a few shots in there that really allowed the audience to empathize with the characters, and uh, had they not been there, the movie would have uh, really suffered. And I, I really still find it unbelievable that Nick didn't get nominated for an Annie Award for his work on Buck Cluck. All right, well, thanks again for those phone calls, guys. And something else I wanted to mention is that in iTunes now, you can actually rate podcasts and give little mini reviews. And if anyone's inclined to go over there and do that, I'd appreciate it. That way, if uh, someone wanders by and sees the page, they can see that people actually enjoy the show and give it a listen. And I don't mind the old five-star rating. And the last thing I want to mention is that I got some feedback on the last show. Um, Eamon had mentioned uh, Hans Bacher doing development artwork on Wildlife. And I actually got an email from uh, Buck Lewis, who was the main character designer on that show, and he just wanted people to know that there were a handful of artists that did a lot of great work on that show that really never saw the light of day. You know, people including uh, Buck Lewis and Mac George, as well as Hans Bacher. 
And uh, if anyone ever has anything to add to these shows, um, feedback or corrections or just additional stories, you're always free to email me or call the feedback hotline and uh, I'd be happy to share it with everybody. And just to make sure that people can see uh, some of the work that Buck did, I'll put a link to Buck's website in the show notes for this show. Well, that's going to wrap it up for show number 11. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.